Hello and welcome to The Leap of Faith, where tonight a theme of isolation moves us from the chosen seclusion of a French Benedictine monastery, those are the bells the sisters use to call to prayer. We'll hear of a labour of love to bring over 7,000 hours of recordings of Gregorian chant to the outside world by record label owner John Anderson. We'll talk with psychotherapist, musician and singer Deirdre Nicanede on Inishmore on the Aran Islands and she'll share the spirituality offered by the landscape there. We'll hear too of the work of World Missions Ireland from its new director, Father Michael O'Sullivan. But first, the Reverend Dennis Woodward is port chaplain in Rotterdam in the Netherlands, Europe's largest port, where over half a million seafarers pass through every year. He's working for the Mission to Seafarers, and his main job is to visit ships and their crews, offering practical and spiritual support to those of any religion, denomination, and whichever flag they sail under. At the moment, in the current pandemic, that's still just about possible. Dennis, welcome to The Leap of Faith. What are the specific requirements for seafarers? I mean, some of the requirements are, are probably some of the requirements that, that you and I have uh, as well. Although, um, you know, this afternoon I'll do some grocery shopping, but I just get to go in my car uh, at the moment, I'm not allowed to take, I have two children, I'm not allowed to take any of my children with me, but I still get to do grocery shopping. Uh, this is impossible for seafarers, of course, uh, the same with um, medication. So, for example, last week, Monday, I was able to get vital medication to a seafarer who was running out. Uh, and with all kinds of agencies involved and the ship's agent and uh, actually the hospital and the pharmacy, we were in the end able to get medication to the seafarer. Um, but things like uh, toiletries, uh, SIM cards as well. Um, SIM cards, as simple as it sounds, is a real lifeline to seafarers because it connects them to their loved ones. Uh, and so data nowadays is really important. So I, I meet uh, particularly a lot of uh, Filipino, Indian, Russian, Ukrainian, Polish seafarers. Um, having a lifeline to those uh, you love back home via WhatsApp, Messenger, Skype is really key. The image that people might have about seafarers is they're a hardy bunch. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to work at sea for, for a year, maybe at a time, you have to be a fairly resilient individual. How do you end up then uh, providing a spiritual support to these people? Yes, at, at times, uh, at times there can be a bit of a um, shield that needs gentle probing. At at times where maybe the first response can be one of, um, "How are you doing?" and "Everything's fine. We're all doing great. Life on board is beautiful." Um, and then when you have a bit more time, uh, at the moment these types of chats are very challenging to have because I don't actually go inside into that crew mess room. I stay near the top of the gangway. Um, and so one of the questions I would normally ask if I have a bit more one-on-one -on -one time is also, uh, do you have Wi-Fi on board? When did you last speak to your wife and children? Um, and try and probe a bit more, how long have you been on board? Um, at the moment, a real issue is becoming seafarers that are way past their contract. So this is becoming a real issue globally where it's very difficult to... Um, replace seafarers. Uh, I saw a figure somewhere where on a monthly basis normally about a hundred thousand seafarers rotate every month. 
And at the moment, we were nothing near that figure. Uh, this has to do with the current corona crisis, uh, where it's very difficult for seafarers to leave the vessel. And on the flip side, it's very difficult for seafarers running out of money who are keen to work uh, to be sent out. And so this is a this is a challenging situation. It's very clear from what you're talking about that there's lots of pastoral work that you can do. I'm curious about the spiritual work that you do. Uh, what do you dig into to help you with that? Yes. Uh, so one of the things uh, at the moment I'm uh, doing with this whole social distancing uh, in the Netherlands, by the way, comically, it's one and a half meters. Um, <laughs> and I think in Britain and Ireland, it's two meters. So maybe 175 to be on the safe side. Uh, but uh, this is this is what we're trying to do at the moment with social distance is I'm actually um, I offer uh, I've been doing mass on board some of the Stena line ships. Um, uh, I can't physically do that at the moment and uh, preside at mass. Um, that wouldn't be allowed from the Church of England point of view where I'm a priest, but also from my organization and not allowed by Stena. And I, I respect that. I fully understand that these are very challenging times. And so what I'm trying to do at the moment is record sermons. Uh, and so I, I did a 20 plus minute uh, reflection with a brief Easter encouragement that I send out and yesterday received some uh, lovely encouragement from some of the people from Stena saying we really uh, we were really grateful for that so were the crew could you make this a monthly thing um, tell me about the character of the people that you minister to I, I'm, again I'm curious about this idea that these are people who travel the world they see yeah. the vast expanse of the planet that we're on do they yeah. share any philosophy with you yeah, they do. And many Filipino seafarers actually are Roman Catholic. And so they, um, I always carry a few rosaries with me, which, which they really appreciate. Um, I, I, I always joke that the, the foundation of my backpack, heavy as it is, is full of Bibles. And so uh, I, I, hand, I hand those out. Uh, I'm very grateful to many organizations like the Gideons, uh, who make some absolutely beautiful uh, Bibles available to seafarers. Very grateful to them. Uh, I, I hand out quite a lot of our daily breads, devotionals, um, and of course, particularly at this time, even briefly at the gangway, I, I offer, I don't force, but I offer saying, would you mind if I just said a prayer for you and the crew on board, um, which feels sort of strange being a few meters apart. Um, but I say a prayer or a prayer of blessing over the ship. And uh, yeah, I've, I'm yet to encounter when that's been rejected. I think people seem to appreciate that. Um, and these are these are very hard times indeed. Where I, I feel seafarers are on the same platform as doctors and nurses who are doing remarkable things at the moment. But without our seafarers, our supermarket shelves would be empty and there'd be no fuel at the at the fueling station. It thinks life would look so different, it's almost unimaginable. Reverend Dennis Woodward, thank you for joining us on the Leap of Faith tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and God bless. One thing I ask of you, one thing I pray. Music there from a psychotherapist, musician, and singer, Deirdre Nikoneja. It's called I Will Sing For You. 
Deirdre is also a spiritual director and retreat facilitator and joins us now from her home on Inishmore on the Aran Islands. Deirdre, welcome. Thanks, Micah. It's nice to be connecting again. Different circumstances, but... I know, but and, and more importantly for me, just the idea that we're connecting with you on the Aran Islands. And yes. periods of isolation would be nothing new to people, particularly in the winter. Although, you know, there are good ferry services and flight services, etc. But the idea that you can have periods of time where you are in isolation, has that been reflected in, in the way the islanders have, have responded? I think so, because the island is also a very busy place and um, it's a busy place when the tourist season starts and people talk about having more time in the winter. Um, And I see now that, you know, there is just a huge sense of silence in the place. And there's almost a sense that in our isolation that we're connecting a little bit more. So if you're out walking in the evening, obviously keeping social distance, but people are chatting and uh, that can be different when the tourist season is here because it's so busy. People are, you know, kind of constantly on the go. So, um, and I suppose when you think of the Aran Islands, just in terms of the communities that lived here long ago, uh, there was a lot of monastic settlements. So that sense of isolation and almost like going into your cell uh, is very much part of the story of the place. So I think uh, it's a very, very beautiful place to be in. And uh, at the same time, it doesn't take away all the little, you know, um, reactions that you have when you know that we're in the middle of a pandemic. But it is very beautiful. Uh, The landscape is very beautiful. The silence is beautiful. And it's nice to be here. And it's also at the moment virus free, which is, is great too. And that was, as you say, the islanders making a decision to lock down reasonably early. Yeah, we did. We did. We had um, a vote. Uh, So everybody was invited to vote um, if they wanted to um, close the door, which is not something we like doing, but asking visitors to stay away for now. And also in terms of the islanders themselves, that we would only go to the mainland um, if it was really essential. And I mean, there are people who have to go for hospital visits and appointments and things like that. So now I think it's kind of very unusual for somebody to take a trip to the mainland. And um, like the ferry comes in, normally there could be a couple of hundred people on the ferry. Um, I was walking recently down near Kilrona and the boat was coming in and there was three people on it. And so what they've done with the ferry is, um, there's one ferry now that comes in and goes to each of the islands. But really a kind of a sense of we're in this together and um, you know, let's let's keep it like this for now. Deirdre, as well as the work that you do with your music, you also, of course, are involved in retreats around people's spirituality. And one wonders, again, that in the future, people will probably hugely benefit from the opportunity to take that same retreat. We're not doing it at the moment. Yeah, um, I think there are some people offering online retreats. You know, I have kind of tuned in to couple of places where that's that's available particularly during holy week so i hope that you know in the future that that retreats will be available for us all um and this is a retreat this is an absolute pause this is a stopping from and a retreating from everything that's familiar for us like our work you know meeting with family with friends social life in some ways if you think back to the early christian church and the beehive huts that they had you know, I often think it's like we're all in our beehive huts now and it's a challenge. It's a big challenge at times. But I, I hope that, you know, as this moves on, that people are settling a little bit more into the experience and finding ways to, to cope with 
the reality of it and then the anxiety and the fear that sometimes people are holding at the same time. We heard at the start of our chat, I will sing for you. What's the story behind that? Yeah, that's an album of uh, music that I recorded last year with um, uh, Andy O'Callaghan. He's a uh, producer of Morty and, and Andy and I just kind of meandered through the year. And I had this bunch of songs and music that I had never actually um, recorded. And um, the, the particular track I will sing for you, I, I wrote that during an eight day retreat I was doing in Manresa. And uh, I just really felt that, you know, at a time of challenge, that it's, it's almost like a call to surrender and let go and let's be held by something more than ourselves. And uh, so it was very, very, you know, uh, I suppose uh, an opportunity to continue with what I love, which is music, with the recording. It's a very, very gentle CD. It's, I've called it I will sing for you, but it's songs to soothe the soul. And there's simple chants and there's some Gregorian monks chants weaving in with my voice. And um, I feel music is a wonderful way to help us. Um, and particularly at this kind of threshold time. From Inishmore tonight, Deirdre Nichanede, Gormil Magat. And you'll find more information on Deirdre's music on her website, CelticPassage.com. Well, next this evening, World Missions Ireland was founded almost 200 years ago as an instrument for sharing the gospel and building the Christian church throughout the world. The organisation is a new director, Father Michael O'Sullivan. Michael was on our programme back in February of last year. Michael, you're welcome back. Last time we spoke, you were in your car on the side of the road in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Yes, indeed. It it was uh, just over a year ago. It was after the... um the Pope's historic visit to the United Arab Emirates, where during this time he signed a declaration of human fraternity with the Imam of, uh, of the Great Mosque in, in Cairo. And I was privileged to have been the local coordinator of that uh, historic visit in February of last year. Now you're not in Abu Dhabi anymore. You're back in Ireland. I'm back in Ireland, uh, based in uh, Temple Oak. I'm a missionary of Africa with the White Fathers based in Temple Oak, uh, but working with the World Mission Ireland in, um, in Rathmines. Now, people may ask, what is World Mission Ireland? In two words, it's basically the Holy Fathers uh, missionaries charities working here in Ireland. And we uh, represent, if you like, um, the Universal Church and the mission of the Universal Church, and our global name, if you like, is called Missio. And we, uh, we represent this in, 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 in Ireland. And so this is my new, my new post as director of, of this very interesting um, missionary organization, World Missionary Organization, which has the Holy Father as the, as the patron or as, as the boss, if you like. Uh, you're like everybody else working from home, but what's on your things to-do list? What, what, what does the director have to do? Well, we, we are basically in contact with the bishops and the national or the diocesan directors in each diocese. We work also with schools. We have about 3,400 primary schools on our list, whereby we have competitions for Christmas. We speak to them about mission. We visit schools. And um, one of our biggest, if you like, works of the year is preparing for the Mission Sunday collection which is in October of every year. It's normally in the second or third Sunday of October, and whereby we, um, we request the generosity of the Irish people who have been generous for 
for decades to help the missions. But um, we have many other jobs in that at the moment we are also creating mission teams. In other words, um, bringing to the local church the fact that not only priests and nuns who are missionaries, but also the whole church is missionary. I'm curious about a man like yourself and, and how you found yourself becoming a missionary. Because if we look at where we are now, and maybe for when you entered the priesthood, has the motivation changed? It may have changed a small bit. In fact, I went to school in Roscray, in Cistercian College, Roscray. And two, two white fathers came uh, to school, to the school ones, and they, they were dressed in a suit and tie. Now, there weren't many priests in the, in the late 70s, early 80s who were dressed in a suit and tie. And they said that they were, well, they, 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 they fed us a yarn, if you like, and they said that they were coming to test our oral French. So I got in contact with them. I was only 15 or 16. And afterwards, um, I ended up going on a missionary, missionary gathering, if you like, a missionary meeting in Teze with white father, white sister groups. So that was the original sort of spark, if you like, that uh, got me interested in the missions, got me interested in, uh, in proclaiming Jesus Christ. And afterwards, in my white father uh, itinerary, if you like, I got to know the, the Muslim and the Arab world, and, and that's where I've come from now. I spent uh, 25 years in the, in the Muslim world from North Africa, from Sudan, but also in the Arabic-speaking Christian world. And that's what led me to Jerusalem for 10 years, and as we mentioned earlier, to the United Arab Emirates, where oh, just over a year ago, um, I was uh, organizing the Holy Father's uh, visit. So mission has many facets, if you like. One would be um, directly sort of proclaiming the word to people who have not heard about Jesus Christ, whether it be in Africa or in Asia or whatever. And another very important aspect of mission is um, entering into dialogue with different cultures and um, I suppose the biggest religion that we dialogue with today is, is with Islam. And that's, that's, that, has been my, that has been my history over the last uh, uh, 25 years. And I'm curious about that because with, for example, Ramadan beginning now on April 23rd, you would have gone through many periods of Ramadan uh, out there. Um, Many periods of Ramadan, and in most countries, Ramadan is a really joyous occasion because people are fasting during the day. And in many countries, uh, sort of, having a feast at night and being a Christian minority in, in many countries, Algeria, Sudan, we were often invited to Muslims tables for the iftar, which is the, uh, the breaking of the fast at the end of the, of the day. So this was a real um, opportunity for, not only for discussion, but a real opportunity for building up friendships and building, building bridges. So Ramadan in the, in the Islamic calendar, if you can imagine it, it's like 30 days of Christmas, if you like. Uh, with the sacrifice of the fasting during the day under um, sometimes under severe conditions because when temperatures are 40 or 45 degrees there is no um, no eating no drinking etc and then there is this whole community aspect which is very important so i have found myself in the in the in the middle of all that in muslim countries from algeria to sudan to the holy land of course because in the holy land today you have a, a lot of muslims and of course in the united arab emirates where was my last two postings Father Michael O'Sullivan, new National Director at World Missions Island, thank you so much for joining us tonight on The Leap of Faith. Thank you very much, Michael. It was a pleasure.
Well, next on The Leap of Faith, we're going to take you to France via Italy and give you an explanation of some of the beautiful sounds that you're listening to at the moment because I'm joined now by John Anderson. John, welcome to The Leap of Faith. Uh, this Thank is a project much. that I am just so enthusiastic to talk to you about because it seems like an absolute labour of love. What did we hear at the start of the piece? Well, thank you for having me. Uh, we were just listening to the Improperia uh, called Popule Meus. This uh, is uh, the most, one of the most solemn days of the, of the liturgy of the church. Uh, masses are not celebrated. And uh, this chant is uh, uh, basically uh, Christ saying, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? Um, how is it that you've betrayed me? Um, what have I done to deserve this? And of course, the other thing is we're listening to it coming from an enclosed order in France. Where? So the order is a Benedictine order of nuns in Jouc. It's a small town next, next to Aix-en-Provence. And uh, they're singing the Gregorian chants in the same way that they've been sung since the 8th century. How did you become involved in this project? My aunt is a member of the order. And I grew up uh, in Kansas. I'm American. And uh, always uh, hearing about this uh, almost mythical aunt who uh, left one morning after my parents' wedding. Uh, my parents were wed in France, and the morning after they were wed, uh, my aunt disappeared, and she went to join this, this order. And so I grew up uh, my entire life uh, always hearing about her, but, but never having the chance to meet her. We never made it over to Europe, and of course she never made it out of the, the cloister to come visit us. And uh, so it was the summer before I started university that I, I spent some time uh, on mainland Europe and um, I went to visit for the first time and met her. And uh, since then, I did university in, in England at, at Oxford. And I went uh, back and forth during the, the term breaks to, to visit this, uh, the monastery, uh, it being closer than, than going back to the United States. And I'd bring my books and I'd study. And while I was studying, I'd, of course, attend some of the services, and I fell in love with the chant, with uh, the, the way of life. And um, it became something very interesting to me to study. John, when this project is complete, you will have accumulated over 7,000 hours of recording. Why so much? So we record everything that the, that the sisters sing, uh, and they start at 5 in the morning and they, they end around uh, 9 p.m. And they're in the chapel between 6 and 8 hours per day. And when they go in, before they go in, they press record, and bef after they come out, they press stop. And so we're, we're recording everything. And uh, if you add that up over the course of the liturgical year, and the liturgical year has uh, a cycle which uh, varies over the course of three years, so it's a three-year cycle, uh, if you add all of that up, it, it totals to over 7,000 hours of, of audio material. We started recording just before Easter last year, and uh, so we're only a little bit over a third of the way through this, this project so far. But uh, we're at enough of a good place that we can, we can launch it uh, next month. And uh, it will have um, not everything, of course, but the majority of, of the chance of, of the year. Now, it sounds like an absolute treasure trove. How will people access it and, and how will people be able to, to enjoy the sounds from the Abbey? We're releasing the project in two different ways. One is a web app, uh, which is, will be available at the website nooms.com, N-E-U-M-Z. And, of course, a noom is uh, an early notation, or the, the, the first notation system used by the, the church to notate their chants. Um, it will be possible to visit uh, that website and stream uh, the chants of the day 
uh, for free. And, um, and in the fall, we'll be launching a companion app for uh, tablet and telephone, both iOS and Android. And uh, from there, it'll be possible to uh, to do the same uh, for free to listen to the to the chants happening um, in that moment, uh, in the same way as one listens to the radio, as a way of peering behind the cloister, being inside, sitting next to a sister, in a sense. Um, but for users who want to, so so to say, play on demand, if if uh, someone wants Christmas today, Christmas every day, or they want to look ahead to Easter, or they want to listen to Maddens, but it's after lunch. Um, it's always possible, but uh, at that point we're going to ask for a subscription. And the subscriptions, of course, are going to, uh, to help sustain the project, but uh, the, the majority, uh, two-thirds of, of the revenues raised, will go to the sisters uh, to sustain them and in particular to help them to sustain their um, foundation in Benin, in Africa, where there's a lot of need. Finally, John, we're going to end this evening by hearing one final piece. Could you... Give us the context of it. So now this is Easter Day, and it is uh, at the Mass. We have now heard for the first time uh, bells since Holy Monday, Thursday. And uh, we're going to listen to the Sequencia, uh, uh, Victimae Pascale Laudes, which comes after the gradual, where we heard the organ uh, again for the first time since the beginning of Lent. Well, the website is neums, N-E-U-M-Z dot com. John Anderson's been our guest. John, thank you for joining us on The Leap of Faith. Thank you very much. And that's The Leap of Faith for this week. To those of you of the Eastern Orthodox faith, happy Easter this Sunday. We'll be back with you next week at the same time. From our producer, Sheila O'Callaghan, and me, Michael Cummins. Good night. <laughs>